You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Great job. Loving the music here. Certainly uh, excited, encouraged uh, to be here to spend time with you and actually some uh, great friends. Uh, very excited about um, seeing here, coming in and seeing Chelsea. Uh, used to be Chelsea Beeman. I know she's married now. You know her by her long red hair. Um, and uh, also uh, been coming in and seeing Henry Kramer. Uh, lots of stories with him back in Chicago. Uh, he was actually, uh, him and his wife were on one of the first dates of my wife and I, and he reminded me uh, when we were in the, what is that, the, the hay wagon, the hay ride uh, with him, or with them, and then, and then Andy, uh, Wingy, and their family, uh, a couple people that used to live uh, in Texas, I'm in Dallas. Uh, you know, it's funny, Andy said, he told me, he goes, and I love Andy's sense of humor, and uh, he said, you know, Todd... There's been, there's, there's, uh, about Texas. He says, there's so many so proud of so little. (laughs) And I'm like, all right. They said, you've been there, you know it. Amen. And you know, Texas is a lot different from uh, California. And you know, probably the best way to illustrate that is your zoo. You know, like you go down to San Diego Zoo, the zoo up here, and you know, you go see an animal, and you see it's in its habitat, and you see the plaque there, and you see its name, you see the name in Latin, you see how you feed it in the tropic, and how you take care of it, and that's all good and done. But you go to Texas, you see the animal, you see the name, and then it gives a description on how to barbecue it. You know, it's a whole nother world. But chances are, many of you will be there someday. Amen. So, you know, it's, uh, it's always encouraging to uh, come and, and see my brothers and sisters uh, everywhere throughout the United States and the world. And, and just being here, uh, the fellowship, the encouragement, uh, people uh, engaging each other. You know, literally, you can go anywhere in the world and find brothers and sisters just like you. And it's so encouraging. And, and I'm really excited to be able to come. And, and I appreciate Steve sharing. Um, you know, he calls me Grandpa. Uh, and, uh, you know, but it's an affectionate way because of our relationship with Nora and Nora with them and, and just seeing how God's kingdom moves throughout the world. And I remember reaching out to Nora in the chiropractor school. I was so, ex- I was so scared. I mean, she was an upperclassman, just super sharp lady, uh, inviting her to a Bible talk. And, she, you know, she didn't come. She didn't come. I kept inviting her. And I remember sitting there by the door and waiting to see if she's going to come. And eventually, at one of the Bible talks, I see her walking out of the door and start walking down uh, the side street to where we were having a Bible talk. I was so excited. She came in, she studied the Bible a couple months, became a disciple, moved out here to L.A., and uh, eventually then meet, uh, met Steve and Jackie. And then now our kindred spirits and working together and building God's churches and glorifying his name. You know, uh, I want to get into the scriptures here really quick. Uh, we're going to look at a story here in Luke chapter 15. And, 
And there, there's a thought um, in this story that I want to get across, and I hope at the end of the lesson uh, you'll understand that, what I'm trying to convey. But before we jump into Luke 15, I want to help us understand is that Jesus just got done talking about what the kingdom of God, what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be this big banquet. It's going to be an incredible party, and at this banquet, you're going to see the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame, those who usually don't get to come to the big banquets. And you can imagine for the first time, you get to come to the banquet with the king, and you're with all of the invited guests. What a party that would be. None of us have had a party like that. None of us have experienced joy. Do you think about eternity for a second? What's the one thing that can captivate your heart and your soul for eternity? Is it food? No. Is it sports, watching TV? Is it athleticism? None of those things will captivate your heart for eternity. The one thing I believe will captivate our hearts for eternity is being in the presence of God. You know, I literally, I think of being with God, being with God. You know, honestly, for the first thousand years, if I can just sit there at his feet and every once in a while maybe reach out and touch his big toe. (laughs) I just want to be quiet. I want to listen. I just want to be in his radiance of his glory and just listen to God. And I can do that for a thousand years. But then I'll have to start talking eventually. But the radiance of God will captivate us. Think about that. Eternity. It is going to be so incredible, so blow away. And that's what Jesus is trying to help us understand. I've been doing a series in Dallas for one of the regions. It's called The Journey to Jerusalem. And, and literally, it's a time period. We don't know it, 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 literally how long it took. But basically, it's Luke 9 to Luke 18. And, and literally, it ends right when Brian was sharing a little bit about, okay, Jesus walks into Jerusalem. The journey to Jerusalem stopped. He's going to die. He knows it. And so there's a time of teaching of his disciples. Luke 14, talking about the banquet, is one of those periods of time. Luke 15 is a big part of that teaching. So we want to pick it up here. Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So there's drawing near or there's grumbling. You have on one side, you have the tax collectors, you have the sinners, they're drawing near to Jesus, and you ask yourself, why? Why are they drawing near to Jesus? What was it about him? What was it about his message? What was it about his love, his touch, that these people were drawn to him? According to Isaiah the prophet, it wasn't his looks. We know that he wasn't wealthy. He didn't have a great ability to, to, pray or to play a sport or to play an instrument. What was it about him that drew these people? You know, you ask yourself, what's a sinner? Sinner is an undeserving person. A, a sinner is one who deserves nothing, separated. Yet sinners and tax collectors wanted something. They wanted someone who loved them, who was unworthy, willing to help the undeserving. And then on the other side, you have those who were grumbling, complaining. Why? 
Why were they grumbling? Why were they complaining? What was it about Jesus? What was it about his message? What was it about his love that caused these people to grumble? And I believe in Luke chapter 15, Jesus was experiencing heartbreak. Because, see, the tax collectors and sinners were missing. They weren't a part of the banquet and Jesus, God, the Father, was, what shall we do? And on the, you had all these people who they were the ones that were grumbling. So he tells a parable. He keeps on going, chapter 15, in verse now, 3. So he told them this parable. He said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, lost one, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost? Well, he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. One's missing. What am I to do? It's mine. It's one of the hundred. I'm concerned. I know what I'll do. I'll leave the 99 in safety. And I'm going to go after the one that's lost until I find it. However it longs. However long it takes. And so he goes. And then he finds it. Oh, here you are, you little rascal. I found you. Rejoice with me. Puts us on his shoulders. Goes out and he says there's more joy in heaven. Continues in the story. There's a woman. And this woman having 10 silver coins in verse 8. If she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One's missing. What do I do? It's valuable. It's mine. It's the same predicament as a shepherd. Do I spend my time and my energy on the one that's lost? And see, she's not content. She's not content with the remaining nine. So she makes an effort to rescue the one lost. Lights a lamp, sweeps the house, searches diligently. And she, here you are, you little rascal. She finds it, and what does she do? Rejoice with me. Can you imagine you're in the stock market and you lose 10% of all your investments? I've lost it. What am I to do? It's mine. I'm going to go search for it. Rejoice with me. And there's joy before the angels of God. You know, I got a picture here. Hopefully I have a picture here. Of a young man who's getting baptized. His name is Josh. Josh was a kingdom kid. And he got baptized really young, probably 16, 17 years old in in, uh, the teen ministry at another church. And Josh uh, moved to Texas to go to school. And, you know, he had come out and he'd kind of hang out with the disciples and spend time with the disciples. But Josh didn't want to re-engage God. He didn't want to study the Bible. 
And after a period of time, you know, the disciples were like, you know what, we're just going to love Josh. We're going to be his friend. We're going to invite him. We're going to hang out. We're going to play basketball because we're just going to love this guy. And eventually Josh just started seeing the relationships and the love and, and, and he just saw there's a difference about these people. And it wasn't about trying to do the right thing or, or you know, I have to do this because my parents are doing it. It's like there's something about relationships. And so Josh started hanging out with the brothers and sisters more and then he started studying the Bible. And then you see here Josh getting baptized, making Jesus Lord. You know, Jesus now changes the temple of the story. And now he starts talking about family. He starts talking about a father and his two sons. You know, and the one thing I would say in anyone's life, but especially a male's life, is when they don't have a good relationship with their father. I sit there and I see Larry and Brian. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I was 48 years old. My mom married and divorced three different times. Woke up on a Monday morning. Got on the internet, and usually what I do is I get my coffee, I sit down, I read, and then I check my email. So I get up that day, for whatever reason, I go, and like, you know, I'm going to check my email real quick. An email. Hello. If, are you Todd Assad? Is your mother Colleen Amphenson Assad? Were you born in Iowa? Because if you were, we might be related. Who needs a cup of coffee after an email like that? <laughs> so my mom basically had a relationship with the man, 19, 20 years old, had me. Never met my biological father. Never had a relationship with him. I knew two other fathers since then. And so I never met my biological father. Heard stories about him, but I never met him personally. And so all these years, all this time growing up and not just having these kind of weird attitudes or feelings about older men. Never had one in my life that either wasn't abusive physically or uh, mentally or verbally. And so when I became a disciple, God was like, okay, you know what, Todd? We're going to change you all up. We're going to make you more like Jesus. We're going to change you and help you get whole. And so literally for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, God was trying to heal me. But there was still that hole. So I text her back or email her back. says, yes, my name is Todd Asad. And yes, my mom is Colleen. And yes, if you're a daughter of Richard Miller, we might be related. Four hours later. He's my brother. So that night, we talked four hours. That week, we started talking, she and I, back and forth. You know, she started talking about the family and the relationships and, and my background and things I never knew. It was literally like, like a hurricane was blowing against me emotionally. And long story short, he and I started talking. It's a long story. I'll share it with you another time because I know Steve will have me back out again someday. And I'll share it more. But the issue is, is that, you know what, I didn't have a great family relationship. And so Jesus now starts talking about family. And then he says in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me a share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took and went on a journey far to a faraway country. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But here I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the son of the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. One's missing. What do you do? It's mine. It's my son. He allowed his son to make his decisions. He allowed his son to make his own choices. He did not control. He did not dictate. And with the father continually watching, waiting, watching, loving, until his son comes home. Running to, embracing, and kissing. He's found. What do you do? Rejoice! Jesus told these three parables as an illustration to mean what does it mean to be lost? And how a father, a loving father, reacts to help them come home. You know, there's another picture I brought with me to share with you. A number of years ago, the woman in the red, my wife and I studied, her name is Annie, and we started studying the Bible with Annie. Her daughter is the one in the black. And they're about, I don't know, I'm going to guess about 50, they're about 65 years old at that time. We started studying the Bible, and, you know, they were um, very... Uh, traditional, you might say Texans, and they had their way, and we studied the Bible, and literally for like two, three months, four months, we studied, and they're like, nope, nope, we're not going to make Jesus Lord. We're not going to do it this way. Well, um, Cheryl Lynn loved her mother and her father, stayed in there, loved up on them, spent time with them, and 10 years later, after literally loving them, still inviting them out and, and, and engaging them and, and bringing them to the church family, literally 10 years goes by, and they start studying the Bible again. Well, it turns out, Cheryl Lynn's mom, Annie, and her father, Dale, decide they want to make Jesus Lord. So on a Wednesday night, I drive down to Arlington, and, and I get out of my car, and... Um, She starts crying. Dale looks at me. He goes, you know, I kind of figured you'd be here. So he experienced the baptism. What incredible. It was so much fun. And now this picture here in the middle is Aunt Margaret. 
Aunt Margaret is the aunt of the sister on the far left, which is is Julianne Wilson, who I knew back in Chicago uh, when she was a single. So Julianne loves her aunt, cared for aunt. Her aunt moved to Dallas about early 2000, came out to church a few times, and I want this discipleship thing. You know, every once in a while would show up, come out, and literally for years, Julianne would love Aunt Margaret. Well, it got to a point, like a few years ago, Aunt Margaret was like, you know what, this is, this is not working. My life's not working. She's like 75 years old. She sees the relationship. She sees the love. She sees the difference in Julianne's life. And so Julianne and Cheryl Lynn, with Cheryl Lynn's mom, Annie, start studying the Bible with Aunt Margaret. Aunt Margaret starts studying. Well, guess what? Julianne, on the far left, her husband, Chris, their mom, Dee, that used to be a part of the church in St. Louis, is on the far right there. Dee moved back to Dallas. Like I said, everybody's moving to Dallas. And so, so Dee, Dee used to be a part of the church at one time. And she left during a time, it was a really hard time in the church in her life, so she left, and, and she didn't really want anything to do with the church, but she moved to Dallas, and you know what? She started coming out, and, but she wasn't restored. And so Julianne was like, with Sherilyn, you know what? Let's, let's invite D to be a part of the study with Annie and with Aunt Margaret. So Aunt Margaret started studying the Bible, getting through the studies. I want to become a disciple. And after she made the decision to be a disciple, D was like, you know what? I've been thinking about this for a long time, and I didn't want to take away from the study. But you know what? I want to become, I want to get restored to the fellowship. And the comments that they all made was the relationships. The love. D was like, I see your investment in the youth. I see these young people. I see how they love God. I see how you're really trying to disciple them and help them to grow and learn to understand what it means to have a loving father in their life. And that's what tipped over D, and that's why she wanted to become a disciple again. And now all of these women are your brothers or sisters in the Lord. You know, you think about lost. You think about lostness. And so I got in the dictionary, in the Bible dictionary, I said, you know, what, is, what does it mean to be lost? And, you know, they didn't have a definition. But what it did in the New Nave topical Bible, it said, see wicked. <laughs> see punishment of. And you think about that, it's like, oh my gosh, even in the religious world, they're not going to define it. But you know what they'll say? It's like, it's wicked. The lost are wicked. They're going to be punished. The Greek word for lost is apolomi. Sorry. And if you want to take a quick look at the Greek word, it means to destroy, perish, lose, lost. But if you take a little bit deeper look at that Greek word, it means to lose something one possesses. Unaware of location, not knowing where something is. But see, if you take a deeper look at it, the deeper look means to destroy. But not in a sense, not in a sense that, well, the fundamental thought is not total annihilation by any means, but rather unavoidable distress and torment. What it means, it's not about being exterminated. Lostness rather means an inescapable, needless sorrow and suffering. 
That's what it means to be lost. If you keep going down this path, needless suffering, sorrow, inescapable suffering, the sheep, the coin, the sun, no, no, no longer is with me. The sheep, the coin, the sun is unaware of its location and the danger that it's in. The sheep, the coin, the sun is in a place where there will be unavoidable distress and torment. That's what it means to be lost. And see, Jesus understood that. Separated from the Father. And he must have been so frustrated. So frustrated with the Pharisees and the scribes for their lack of understanding, their lack of compassion, their lack of concern for the lost children of God, the tax collectors and sinners. And these were the ones that were being drawn to Jesus. And you see it in the older son. You see it here in Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Let's continue to read. And now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to the one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, how many of these years have I served you and never disobeyed your commands? Yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Grumbling. Like a Pharisee and a scribe just grumbling, complaining. Your love, your compassion, your concern and care for this son of yours. There's a clip I want to show. It's a short clip, and it's from the movie Dead Man Walking. And if you've seen that movie, it's, it's probably about 15 years old. What happened is that there's a man who killed two kids, and he's on trial. And this nun is basically ministering to him, loving up on trying to help him during this time. And, and I want to show it, and, and I'll make a comment here afterwards. It's always a good sign when you have to wait. I don't know whether we made any headway in there. I thought you did great. The best thing would be if they realized their own culpability in the death of a man. Hilton. Hmm? Excuse me, sister. I'm Walter Delacroix's father. Mr. Delacroix, I'm sorry about your sister. Sister, I'm a Catholic. 
How can you sit by a consulate side without ever having come to visit with me and my wife or the Percy's to hear our side? How can you spend all your time worrying about consulate and not think that maybe we needed you too? Mr. Telgraph, I didn't think that you wanted to talk to me. Uh, you going in? This is Mary Beth and Clyde Percy. I'm sorry about your daughter. Yeah, so are we. Excuse us. Listen, sister, I'm sure you've seen a side of Matt Ponsoff that none of us have seen. I'm sure he's on his best behavior, must be pretty sympathetic to you. But sister, this is an evil man. This is a man who abducted teenage kids and raped and killed them. That scum robbed me of my only son. My name. My family name dies with me. There will be no more Delacroix, sister. No more. I want you to know I do care about you and your family and what happened to your son. I'm going to give you my number. If there's anything that you need, you just call me. Me call you? Think about that, sister. Think about how arrogant that is. Excuse me. You all right? We better be getting on in. I love the line. Me call you sister? Think how arrogant that is. And so we're surrounded by lostness. We're surrounded those that if they continue to live in a certain way, needless suffering separation from a loving father. Oh, here's my number. Call me. Don't engage. We don't love. We don't persevere. We don't sweep. Just call me. Well, you know where I live. You know where I work. You know I believe in Jesus. When you're ready, call me. But see, we don't see the father act like that. You know, it's funny, this section of Luke is called the prodigal son. <laughs> Do, here's the funny thing. Do you know what prodigal means? I did this to the Northwest region, Dallas Church. I said, you know, the prodigal son. Do you know what prodigal means? And most people are like, no, we don't. All we do know is that it's bad and you don't want to be one. Prodigal means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. As an adjective, it means spending money or resources freely, recklessly, wastefully extravagant, having or giving something on a lavish style. As a noun, a person who spends money in a recklessly extravagant way. The sheep, the coin, the sun. The father focuses his attention on them. He pours his love out on them. He searches for them. He takes the initiative for them. He waits patiently for them to come to their senses, repent of their sins, and come back to him. He has overwhelming compassion for them. So who's the prodigal? 
I don't think it's the Son. I think it's the Father. The one who lavishly spreads His love. Freely giving. Recklessly loving those who are separated. Recklessly loving the unlovable. Just like us. Why? Why is God the prodigal? So they can be restored to that correct relationship. So they can be sons and daughters of a loving father. I changed my mind. I do that a lot. What happened is that as I became a disciple as a young man up in Chicago at the chiropractor school, it literally it took me years. I met my wife. She was awesome. But I caught myself. I caught myself when I'd start having relationships with older men, like discipleship partners or leaders, things like that. I'd always put them on a pedestal, and eventually they would let me down. They would do something, say something, let me down, and I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, you're just like my father. But then I had kids. I had two sons. And now I'm the father and I want to be a good father. I want to love my sons. I want to give to them. And, and, and I engage. And literally, it, it took years. And I started realizing what I'm doing to other men around me. And, and like, you know what? i got to change how I have relationships with people. And, and, and God allowed me. He healed me. He, and it was a period of time working through my heart, working through situations. But I always had to persevere. I always had to push through. Because that's how God was trying to teach me. And so what happened is that I got that email. And that whole week, and it was a really weird, weird time because at that same time, the Dallas church was trying to figure out how we're going to move forward because we're factionalizing and we're going to be in separate churches. And, and it's like, no, no, no. We're God's church here in Dallas. We need to be unified. And, and so we had people come in and I was going through all this stuff emotionally. And, and I remember the first time I talked to my biological father, he was a, car, a part-time car salesman. He just uh, semi-retired. And my aunt said, your father's here. He wants to talk to you. 48 years. Take the phone. First words out of his mouth. So I heard you want to buy a car. <laughs> you know, he was, he was afraid. He was afraid. He was afraid that I was going to be angry and bitter and resentful, that I was going to be edgy and mean and I just kind of chuckle, and we talk for like 10 minutes, and I, I bet you his aunts were probably pounding on him, and so we said, you know, we started talking, we talked like two, three days later, you know, I want to, hey, Todd, you're going to love the family, and you're going to, I can't wait to see you, and, and, and build, you know, you're, you're going to love it, and I got five new brothers and sisters, and, and he starts talking about the family, but he can only talk in increments of like 10 minutes like every other day, because, you know, he's ADD, and he was scared and nervous, and so we talked like every three days for about two weeks. Set up a time, we're going to go visit him, Patty and I are going to fly up there in November, and then, you know, basically October, uh, we talk about for two weeks, every, about every three days, he doesn't pick up the phone. I'm like, wow, man, what's going on? We, we had a time, our 10-minute time set up, and he didn't pick up the phone. Two days go by. Tuesday, he calls me man, Todd, I'm so sorry. I was like, you know, I was having these chest pains and I, was, I had to go to the hospital. I'm sitting there like, dude, do not die on me. No, seriously, do not die on me. 
48 years. I want to see you. I want to talk to you. A week later, he has a hemorrhagic stroke. No, ischemic stroke. Blood clot. Half paralyzed. He can still talk. He starts recovering, kind of in and out, delirious. And we're like, do we come? Do we visit? Do we, do we, we got, we're going to come there in like three weeks. And do we come up now? Or do we wait? And he's getting a little bit better. And we're talking. I'm talking to some of the brothers and sisters now. And, and okay, what do we do? What do we do? And, oh, he's getting better. Hemorrhagic stroke. Now he's completely paralyzed. He's, he's in a coma. Okay, we're coming. So we drive up. We fly up there. We come to the hospital. A couple, my brother and my sister half-brother and sister, come down to the hospital and they, they spend time, they come and meet me because they want to bring me up to the hospital room. I go up to the emergency room, the waiting room, and literally there's 20 people that look like me. <laughs> the women obviously had longer hair and makeup on. <laughs> but now I see where I, why I don't have a rear and why my legs are skinny. <laughs> and my hair is brown and the heads are somewhat big and I'm like, Kin! And they're literally all sitting there, and they're like laser focus. They're checking me out, up and down, and just looking at me. And I'm just like <gasps> overwhelmed with emotions. So we talk for a little bit. I walk in there with one of the aunts, the one that found me. And she's been looking for like 10 years trying to find me, 15 years. Her and her daughters were trying to find me. So this is emotional for them, too. So I walk in there. He's in the coma. You know, I talk to him. I can touch him. Um, but, you know, he, he's in a coma. So we start talking. I get to know my relatives. You know, long story short, he passes away about two weeks later. Never get a chance to talk to him physically. Never get a chance to hear his side of the story. You know, my aunts, his sisters, like, oh, you know, he's, he's really a good guy. And I'm like, you know, I don't need to hear that because all my life you abandoned me. I don't want to hear why he was a good guy. But long story short is I believe God allowed me to meet him before he died because God wanted to fill in that one last hole that was still open. Now, it's, the dent's still there. But emotionally, I was able to engage my father. Emotionally, God, my loving father, knew that this is a part of you that you need help in. Now I'm 54. I love my sons, but we have, we have issues. We work through things, but I want to do it God's way, not my way. So who's the prodigal? One sinner who repents, there's more joy in heaven. One sinner who repents, there's joy before the angels of God. One sinner who repents, a father receives back his child from the dead. So do you share that joy? As disciples of Jesus, who are trying to follow the Christ, who read the Gospels and understanding Jesus and his relationship with his father and then us, are we preoccupied with finding the lost? Do we love the lost like God loves the lost? Do we love in such a way that people will be drawn to us? 
because they see the joy, the love of our relationships. You know, Patty and I moved back up to the north, part of the Dallas church, golly, about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And, you know, the Dallas church, I would say, was stuck. And, and we had to do a lot of changing, a lot of different things. Sold our building, sold our camp. We're going to change. We're going to focus on the youth. And, but, you know, they're still stuck. And Patty and I were like, you know what, we're just going to... Patty's comment was, I want a commune in this neighborhood. I mean, basically what she was saying, she said, I want people walking out of our houses and relationships and family. And, and I go, oh, that, honey, that's a great vision, but don't use the word commune. <laughs> that is just weird, you know I mean? And, yeah, seriously. And so, so, you know what? Patty's sharing her faith. I'm sharing her faith. Four doors down. There's this uh, neighbor, and, and, and she goes, hey, I, I know you go to church. I know you're a minister. I, I want to come to a Bible talk sometime. All right. <laughs> she comes to our house. She starts studying the Bible. Liz, 60 years old, becomes a disciple. About six months later, her husband, Gary, becomes a disciple. 60, 65 years old, doing great spiritually. But why did they become disciples? Because we invited them into our household. We invited them into our family. They met other brothers and sisters. They fell in love with the church, but because we were in love with the prodigal father. Then another couple got baptized. And you know what? People respond. People see the difference in your lives. You know, next week you have Easter's. And um, what a great way to, to introduce your friends to your family. What a great opportunity for us to bring people and to understand a loving father. What a great opportunity for us to start healing relationships, healing people that are broken, showing them the love that they need, showing them the love like our father loved us. Prayerfully, hopefully, this is something that will motivate you, challenge you to be the kind of uh, finder of the loss that God wants us to do, be. Let's go ahead and go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful for this opportunity to be together. God, thank you for the opportunity that Steve uh, has given me to come and see his family here in, in this body here in L.A. God, we're so grateful, so humbled so appreciative of your love for us. Father, we pray that we will love those the way you've loved us and trying to heal us and care for us and molding us into your image. Thank you again for this time. In your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 